Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, and we will not talk about college baseball on today's podcast here at BaseballAmerica.com or for downloading us uh, via iTunes. And we are coming to you live from the DeMarini Demo House podcast nook, and we want to remind you that when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right. Visit your nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. J.J. Cooper, you and I are both still waiting to go to our first professional game of the 2010 season. I will end that by tonight. You're ending that tonight. I will end that tonight, seeing uh, Mike Montgomery versus Kelvin De La Cruz in Kinston, which... Nothing wrong with that. And then following it up tomorrow, seeing Tim Melville versus uh, Nick Hagedone. So... Yeah, that back, Kinston team is kind of lo- kind of loaded back already. Back-to-back, uh, very good pitching matchups. I believe that's going to be an 11 a.m. start for Nick Hagedon and uh, Tim so. Melville. So they'll just so be yes, I, I will drive home from Kinston tonight and then turn around and leave at like 8.30 tomorrow morning to do it again. I'm going to guess that Nick Hagedon, being from Washington State, drinks coffee. But I'm going to guess that Tim Melville does not. So I wonder how many Red Bulls before the game Tim Melville will down just so he could wake up for his 11 a.m. start. Uh, for Wilmington, but uh, it's an exciting time of year. It always is busy at Baseball America, but it's rarely as exciting as minor league and major league opening day uh, are for us, and they were last week, uh, even though we're located in Durham, North Carolina, if you don't already know that, and D- both Durham and the AA Mud Carolina Mudcats, our two closest teams, were on the road. And as, then, as was Charlotte was not in town. Right. I mean, there was... Last year, I, I went to Charlotte on opening day for a day game and saw Tommy Hansen, was which good. was pretty awesome. That was a great, that was a great game. And of course, last year opening day and the beginning of baseball season were so overshadowed, JJ, by the Alex Rodriguez steroid story, continuing steroid revelations. Last year, David David Ortiz was one of them. Early in the year, the Nick Aidenhart death that happened on opening day for the minor leagues was the night before, mm-hmm. and that news broke during the day uh, on opening minor league opening day. So it was a lot of negative news on opening day last year and opening week. And this week, this year, uh, baseball's really had a lot of good news, and most of it generated by our kind of guys, by prospects, Jason Hayward, uh, Aroldis Chapman, Steven Strasburg, Mike Leake. Uh, pick your pick your story. I mean, those were some of the dominant storylines of the last month, uh, both in spring training and opening week for the majors and the minors. Uh, I think Hayward, if you said, well, who has been the story, uh, you know, because right now, Strasburg and Chapman are our fascinating guys, and it it was cool to see you had two guys making their you know season debuts in the minor leagues, and both of which partly it is a good explanation of how coverage has just blossomed. For you know, there's a lot more networks out there, there's a lot more possibilities to see stuff. But like, I was able to watch you know Chapman and uh, Strasburg starts from the comfort of my couch, which nice. was really nice. And not in Altoona. You'd have to go to Altoona or yeah. Toledo for that. Yeah, you know. And you couldn't be in two places at one time to do that, even if you did want to be in, you know. That's right. You know, that's uh, right. But so you had that. You know, that's awesome and all. But I do think it, nothing compares to, you know, Jason Hayward. I think if you said going into the off season last year, who's going to be, you know, Baseball America's number one prospect, I think it would have been probably most people would have said, oh, Steven Strasburg, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, he's signed now, and so he's going to be the number one prospect. And, you know, not that it wasn't, a, you know, we didn't check about it and all, but every time we checked with people, it seemed like it came back, oh, I know Jason, Jason Hayward. Hayward. Jason yeah. Hayward's the... And Nothing against Strasburg, but Jason Hayward is pretty special. And we're seeing that 
first week of the season has done nothing to dissuade that. I know he had a little slump there for about you know a three-day stretch, but three homers in the first uh, week of the season, it's hard to do much better than that, especially as a 20-year-old. And the Braves are trying really hard to temper enthusiasm for him as much as they can and for not put too much on him. He is in the everyday lineup, but he's still hitting sixth or seventh, and they haven't moved him up in the lineup. I thought that we would see that with Chipper Jones and his obligatory oblique strain of the month, which will, <laughs> it seems like that will happen every month, uh, right around the Ides of the month. But uh, Chipper Jones down, and they did not move Jason Hayward into the three-hole. But clearly, and he hasn't got a Delta, you know, deal uh, yet. Does he? Uh, to be yet. The, the official spokesman of of the Braves, you know, essentially the the big money spokesman of the Braves yet. I mean, he, they, ha- it'll come. You're right, but they're trying to. The the point is, is that yeah, the the last time you saw basically Braves prospects, especially homegrown prospects, burst on the scene. Jeff Francoeur was the face of the Braves in about an hour and a half. Right. And they're trying to do anything they can to kind of slow that down. Which it's hard to slow the hype down, though, because... When the guys, when the fans are chanting Jason Hayward at his first big league home game, and as they're chanting, he crushes a home run deep into the bullpen, it's very yeah, hard it's to... It's the hype sauce. It's, 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 it's going to happen. It's not hype anymore. Yeah. It's reality. And that's the best part about well, Jason I mean, Hayward. He's not no, he's, hype. He's I mean, really The thing good. about it is, as a 20-year-old, and this is not to say that he won't struggle at some point this year, although... He does have the approach, you know, we've talked about on the podcast before, that makes it less likely that he's going to struggle. I mean, most of the guys, most of the really young guys who make it up don't have that feel for the strike zone. Right. And that means that, you know, well, yes, no matter how much talent you have, Jay Bruce, it takes a while for him to figure it out. Justin Upton, those kind of things, you know, guys have to figure it out. I mean, Delmon Young. Right. Still, you know, still gaining acceptance. You know, we're still seeing if he'll ever figure it out. But, he's a Dan Quayle of prospects. But that being said, you know, he's going to struggle at some point this year. But he already, if you said, who are the keys to the Braves, you know, if the Braves are going to make a run at the playoffs this year, it's hard to think of a whole lot of guys that you'd mentioned before Jason Hayward. Yeah, no, he's a big key to it, obviously. Uh, I mean, and Derek Lowe is another one of the keys. Was quoted the other day as saying like he just can't believe how well Hayward's handling it and how much attention the guy gets and uh, you know we we've we've been through it with other prospects I think Jim Callis actually had a great Ask BA question yeah. where the today. discussion was whether or not Hayward's one of the weakest number ones in recent memory and I just think that's crazy on the face of it I mean he's one of the best number right. one prospects and what and go read Jim's you know he he made the point he's not the number one if you said in the last decade who coming into the season was the number one, not like looking at it in hindsight, right? but who was the number one, number one prospect coming into the season? I forget who his number one was. Number two was uh, Josh Beckett. Who yeah, was number, number two one? was Josh Beckett, and number one was... Because uh, like, I think to myself that it would be Joe Mauer. Third, but, but Matt Wieters. Oh, Matt Wieters. <laughs> because of being, being a catcher. And and because Wieters' double-A season was spectacular. It, it was, was a insane. spectacular year that year. Yeah, it was I mean, It was a half a year in a, high A and a half a year in double-A. But that's a spectacular year. I'm a little bit surprised I didn't put Joe Maurer because I guess I don't think it. Uh, Joe yeah. Maurer was our minor league player of the year the year before. You know, you know, so in 03, Joe Maurer was our minor but, league player of the year. 2004, he went to the big leagues. He had 109 at bats, and then he got hurt. But the 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 thing about Maurer, if you wanted to argue why, say like a guy like Hayward, you you, get, you do have the position, but he didn't put up the power. He numbers. He had not put Hayward. up the power numbers. It was something that was projected for him. It was right. something that we thought was going to come. That said, all that said, but he also was the best catching right. prospect. I know Weeders put up better numbers 
But Maurer is I better. thought that Maurer at the time was thought of more highly than Weeders because the defense was considered gold glove caliber Bench. at right at at the double A at the time in double A. I've never really read that about Weeders. I always thought Weeders' bat was ahead of Maurer's at a similar stage, but not even well, no, not the bat, but the power. And there were some questions about whether Maurer, like what his ground ball rate was in double A well, and that kind of thing. Just silly things over paralysis by over analysis. The, the crazy thing about it is, is that with Hayward, the thing I would that take does, Maurer over Hayward, I guess uh, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and the thing that does stand out about Hayward, though, is, is that, and this was somewhat true of Maurer, although it took a little longer as a catcher, but he's 20. Right. The age is another if, issue, yeah. If he had not signed out of high school, he would be coming, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm adding Jason my Hayward in the yeah. draft right now. He'll be in the draft right now. Yeah, UCLA is number one without him. He was a UCLA recruit. Yeah, and, UCLA uh, with him is, uh, you know, it, it, it's scary, but... but no, it is scary. But you would be... But the, <laughs> That's the point, really scary. But the point I'm making is, is that when they talk about, you know, well, you know, should guys go pro, should guys sign out, of, you know, should guys go to college, there are cases of guys, like, there is no way to argue that if Jason Hayward had gone to college it would not have retarded his development, slowed it down, simply from the fact that he's already an yeah. integral part of a big league lineup before he would ever get the chance to be drafted again. I mean, and yeah, that's, if, he, if he'd gone to UCLA, he might have been drafted to play on their basketball team this year. That's the draft he would have had already, as bad as the Bruins were this year. It's uh, the Baseball America podcast. He is J.J. Cooper. I am John Manuel. We're talking a little bit about some of the biggest stories of the young baseball season, and Jason Hayward is certainly one of them. A guy who did go to college, J.J., is Mike Leake. Well, I don't want to get too far in the podcast without talking about Mike Leake. Uh, we could have made the case for Mike Leake being our college player of the year last year. His numbers were ridiculous. Uh, they were as good as Steven Strasburg's in every respect. They were better in the win column. They were not as good in just pure dominance as far as strikeouts and just annihilating opponents. Um, but Mike Leake, uh, what was he, the ninth overall pick, eighth overall pick? I guess it was the eighth overall pick. And goes straight to and the goes big straight to the major leagues, without, you know, without passing go, except for stopping by the Arizona Fall League, and without it being a uh, part of his contract, like no. I think it was this with was X Nady in 2000, where he right, went yeah, straight that, to the big league. Hey, is the last one. It's not technically really true. true. It's technically true, but he did get a hit in his only big league back but, in 2000. But if you look at it, he had part of his contract was he got, you know, he got a big league call up, he got an at bat, and then he went back to the minors to, to you know, to basically become a, a big leaguer. Right. That's. That's a little different than – I mean, to me, like you talk about a guy like John Olerud. John Olerud was a guy who went Correct. straight to the majors, and what we mean by that is – And stayed there. Yeah. He was a big – they decided he was a big leaguer, and so because of that, here here you go. You know, That's you, the big issue to me is that he um, he went to – he went in the he went to the straight to the big leagues because he belonged there. And right now I guess we're going to see – does Mike Leake belong there? And the early returns, positive. First one start, you know, one right. start. He pitched well. I mean, he did walk seven. I will say watching Which that Which is game, uncharacteristic. That's very uncharacteristic. I, I don't think he'll watch, walk seven again. I also, it, it's going to be, the question's going to be, he he got a lot of strikeouts. So, you know, he got some strikeouts in that game. He doesn't have, I mean, the scouting report coming out was he doesn't have overpowering stuff. He knows how to pitch. Well, when you watch that, it means that you're going to watch a little bit more of a tightrope act. Right. And now the question is, is can he stay, you know, can he keep the tightrope act going, you know, game after game? Because he did get in trouble sometimes, but when he did get into trouble, he knew how to get out of it. And it's impressive that he he had to earn his way there. 
because the Reds have other similar options, and we're doing right. in this issue that will go to press in two days with all your opening day rosters. For all those of you, I'm sure the people actually who want opening day rosters do not listen to podcasts. Probably not a whole lot. But uh, we'll have some articles of that, one of the, and charticles and all these kind of things. One of our charticles is the best rotation and best lineup at each level. And the AAA Louisville Club is in the running for best AAA rotation in the minor leagues. Uh, you've got uh, Roldis Chapman, who who's, we're going to talk about in this podcast. It's fairly interesting. He's pretty interesting. Travis Wood, who led the Southern League in the, well, the minors in the ERA last year, did he not? Uh, I know no, he led the Southern uh, League. Bumgarner, I thought. Ah, I Bumgarner, Bumgarner did beat. edge him at the end. But uh, Travis Wood and he has AAA experience. You have Justin Lair, a AAA veteran, 32, has some big league experience. experience. You have Matt Maloney. AAA veteran who has some big league experience. Who right. Was, I mean, I would have said coming into the offseason, if you said, I mean, he tried to stake a claim to the fifth starter job with a strong September last year, and then very quickly looked around this spring and went, wait a second, I'm, I'm all of a sudden fourth, fifth, you know. Yeah, he's like eighth on the depth chart, right. pitching staff ninth. So uh, there are options. There are other options that the Reds had. Uh, and I think Sam LeCure is the fifth guy on that right. rotation, who's somewhat prospecty. Right. So they have other options. They didn't have to go to Mike Leake. He earned that spot. And I think that, you know, the best case, the scouts who like Mike Leake, and I didn't do our draft coverage in Arizona last year, but I did the year before, and he was thought of as the best prospect by some area scouts on that Arizona State team in 2008, and that's when they had Brett Wallace and Ike Davis, among others, on that team. So if, um, if you if you like them. I mean, the the guy who keeps being thrown up is, is Tim Hudson. Right. You see some Tim Hudson. You see the athleticism, similar size, similar athleticism, similar movement and life on those pitches. And, and ability to make a pitch is really Mike Leake's strength as opposed to any one pitch. Right. He has it, five pitches that you don't know which one he's going to throw at what right. point in the count. And he's going to have to be, like you said, he's going to have to be a little bit more precise with his control and his command. Right. Well, uh, And a lot of those walks, though, what that came from is that he doesn't have – that one pitch he can turn to and say, okay, well, you can't hit this, and I can throw it for a strike. So because of that, it means he has to paint. And so what ended up happening on you know on Sunday was he ended up walking some guys because he was painting on you right. know, on three one or three two. And frankly, uh, it's a it's a great comp. I like the comp uh, the uh, comp comparison with him and Tim Hudson, but he does not have Tim Hudson stuff. No, that's the thing is, is that he's like really, a Tim the, Hudson light. He he doesn't have. I mean, the the reality of it is is that. In, in that start on Sunday, he didn't show, you know, at the times in the past, he's running up 94. And I don't want to get too caught up in the velocity because he is a guy who all the reports we have, you know, you don't want to see him sitting at 93, right. 94 because it's sitting straight 93, 94. It's an, average, it's, it's an average fastball in terms of velocity, and it has to be above average in other good respects. You know, and, and the ability to locate all, all that. And that's, a, that's how but, you throw an average velocity fastball and get drafted in the first 10 picks. But... At the same time, on Sunday, he was an eight. I mean, if you said, what did he sit? He sat 88, 89. Right. And you really would probably, you know. Like to see that. Like to see him sit at 90, 91 with that same life. Just because the reality of this is that the number of right-handers who can succeed, can you know, long-term in the big leagues with, you know, with a, an 88, 89 mile an hour fastball, it is, it's a pretty small list. It is a small list, and uh, Mike Leake's a small guy, and I think that's the other reason why he's been vaulted at the big leagues. He's not big of stature. He threw 390 innings in college. I think the Reds are in the uh, limited number of bullets camp, and they want to get as much out of Mike Leake right now as they can. I think he earned it, 
but I think that they also believe that, well, Mike Leak is as good as he's going to get. I don't even think there's projection there. Why have him learn in the minor leagues? Let's have him learn in the big leagues. Well, and the thing about it is that that's the thing if you want to say from the first start. it there, there You could make the argument he's such an advanced pitcher that is there a whole lot of learning for him to do. He fields his – a lot of times when you talk about pitching prospects, what you talk about, like Aroldis Chapman. Right. Kind of segueing into that. Great point. Aroldis Chapman, what he needs he's to learn – Mike Leak. What he needs to learn is not how to rear back and throw a fastball. And right. not even, I mean, he's got some delivery, you know, making consistency of delivery and all that. He has some harnessing issues, but he has no stuff issues. Right. But he has to also learn, okay, bunt, you know, remember to cover, you know, cover first base. You know, okay, who's got it? All, you know, all those things. Just basic Holding PFPs. runners, all that. That he's got to learn that. There's none of that that Mike Lee needs to go to AAA to learn. And Pretty the other point. thing with that is is that with Chapman coming up, with Wood coming up, with Edison Volquez coming off the DL at some point this year, it's actually a pretty good time if you're the Reds to figure out what you got with Mike Leak because the reality of it is is that at some point this season Chapman's going to be ready to come up the big leagues and you got to find room for him, you think. Right. And at some point this year Volquez is going to come back and when he's back, he's going to he's going to be in your rotation. Well, they've got a full rotation right now, so it's almost kind of Leak, if Leak's going to stake a claim to the job, right now is a good time to stake a claim because then, if he does, when Chapman's ready, then maybe you're trading a Bronson Arroyo or maybe or an Aaron Harang. Whereas, if he doesn't, then you, you know, it may be a long time before he has, gets a chance to stake that claim to a job. JJ, you're our resident Reds expert, having done their top 30 the last couple of years, last three years, right? Yeah, three years. Um, are they a, I don't know, a sleeper? Are they a, how do you see them as a contender in the National League Central? We're almost talking about a team that, where their strength is really starting pitching, which has not been the case for years for the Reds. Well, that, that's the thing, the fascinating is, is I've got a, uh, a friend of mine who's a, a diehard Reds fan, has been a Reds fan for, for basically since near birth, and, hmm. and talking to him, I was like, how crazy is it that the Reds could next year very easily have a, a have four starters, homegrown starters in their rotation. Cause, homegrown. You know, because they've got Bailey, Cueto, and Leak right now. So that's three in the rotation right now. And then they've got Chapman, you know, not far away, and that's not counting the, the Travis Woods, the Matt Maloney's, all that. And this is an organization that didn't develop a starting pitcher. I mean, you Four basically, decades. you could go, you, if you, unless you want to use the word like Scott Scudder, you're going back to like Jack Armstrong. <laughs> was Scott Williamson a, a guy but he, Yeah, but he was... But he's that. But as far as the homegrown starter, I mean Williamson. He spent, started some, but he was. But he's, very he's good a reliever. I mean, you know, right. as far as the guy, Brett Tomko is the other there one. There you go, Brett Tomko. I saw and, his first pro start in 1995. It's right. been a long time. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. And now you're talking about all of a sudden they're a team that's producing pitching. They, I mean, you remember there was. A, I mean, there was a stretch there where if you used the words Reds pitching prospect, you had to Ow. follow it with 15 Injured. or 60 day DL, and we hope to have them back next year. You had to preface it with. Injured, yeah, pitching prospect. I mean, and and they went. I mean, it was basically like the kiss of death was to be a Reds pitching prospect. Well, now they they have you know they've developed homegrown starting pitching, and they are a pitching team. I mean, their offense is it's okay, but it's not going to be an offense that is going to win. You know, they're not going to win based on that offense. I don't think so. But if they can get, I mean, if they can basically have five starters where, you know. Every game you go out there, they can count on. They have a starter who they think they can count on to keep them in a the game, and they've got a pretty solid pen. Well, then. And the thing is, they have some depth. I think that they need that depth because their lineup is 
There's some athleticism in their lineup that's a little bit surprising with the Drew Stubbses and the Jay Bruce's and, and the Paul surprising Yannis athleticism to me. I always have to go back to Joey Votto because yeah, he, Joey oh, Votto is the, the to me defines the surprising athleticism when he steals a base. Like I do like, even though I know he's 35 and not that great, I do like they went out and got Orlando Cabrera just to stabilize shortstop a little bit for them. But what move would you make if with this pitching depth that you have? How would you improve this team? What would you go after? To me, it's a catcher. Okay. If, you're, if there's a catcher out there. I mean, I, you know, Ramon Hernandez. I thought your guy was Ryan Hannigan. Ramon Hernandez, Ryan Hannigan, you can survive with that. But, but Ryan Hannigan will slug 380, I think, in a good year probably. You know, and I think, I mean, RBIs is not, you know, RBIs is not the stat you want to build things around. But at the same time with Ryan Hannigan last year, you when you nine RBIs. when you have something like yeah when when you're when you when you're talking about trying to get your RBIs into double digits and you're playing consistently, that is actually a concern. Like because he doesn't drive the ball. He does not drive the ball, and so you know catcher would be a position that you could improve. Shortstop still would be a position that. But again, you're not going to. The problem with that is is that the guys that you can find to improve that you you're not going right. to. Shortstop you can paper over the hole. No one's going to give you. A, you're but, gonna but when you have starting pitching to trade, though, but that opens up some trade, other avenues. Yeah, but it comes down to, okay, so then who are you trading to get that? It sounds like Bronson Arroyo is always first and foremost. Right, and you're not getting that for Bronson Arroyo. Or, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Bronson Arroyo has playoff experience, and he's pitching well, and there is a sucker born every minute, J.J. Well, that may be true, but but I, mean, I, I don't think – but I think that's where you would you would probably – How about Aaron Harang? I think you get a lot for Aaron Harang. Aaron Harang is durable. He gives you some strikeouts. I think he has what one year left on his contract. They're both. I think they're both uh, team. I think they're both options for for 2011, if I remember right. I mean, I don't know what I'd give up for Aaron Harang. Uh, depends on the big league club, but I think that he's a fairly attractive piece. Well, I think because of his durability and get him away from piece. get him away from Dusty ba- Dusty Baker. I think he would bring you back a a big league regular return at least. Right, but I, that's what I'm saying. I think you can get a big league regular, but the question is, is are you going to get a big league regular who does much to upgrade you over, say, Cabrera? I think you could, okay. but I think well, it depends. On the, I mean, it has been four years since Aaron Harang led the league in strikeouts. So that's that's a long time ago. That was his age 28 year. What a shock! Um, that was his best year. But well, so moving on, I, I will ask the. Ask you so Strasburg. The first start we saw, he sits ninety-eight, which you don't use those words very often. No, I think it's you safe don't. to say you don't. Not for say, a starting pitcher. You don't say. I mean, you know, Chapman hit one hundred one, which is uh, for a lefty. I don't think I've ever talking about a starting pitcher who's a left-hander. I don't think I've ever used the words. Yeah, I think the last left-handed pitcher who threw that hard, obviously, were Randy Johnson and Billy Wagner. Yeah. I mean, Randy Johnson's about the only one, but Billy Wags, when he started in college and in the minor leagues, I think was probably doing that. But those guys are very rare. That's why you can remember them easily. It's clearly a unique arm, and Strasburg is clearly a unique arm. I mean, to me, the closest comparison to Steven Strasburg in terms of a starting pitcher with that kind of velocity is actually Matt Garza. I would love to see side-by-side those guys, because Matt Garza, I've watched both his starts this year at the major league level. Just last night against the Orioles, it it was eighth inning, 94, 93, 94, just sitting there, and 95, 96, whenever he wanted it. The, the other one I got to throw in there is you got to throw Verlander in there as far as that. Yes. Because Verlander has yes. that deep in the game velocity, too. Yeah, you're right. And those and those two guys are similarly built to Steven Strasburg. These are not Nolan Ryan clones. That's the thing. Like, like Mark Pryor was, is the obvious guy you always bring up with Strasburg. He, he just didn't throw that hard. He was a no. 90. He sat 93, 94. And that was Mark Pryor. That's what he did. He never sat in the upper 90s. He was in college. He was like a 92 to 97 guy. It was a pretty big range, 
But he was a bigger, thicker. He was built more along the lines of a Nolan Ryan. He trained with Tom House like Nolan Ryan. His delivery was somewhat along those lines. Strasburg is more like Verlander and more like Garza. Taller, skinnier, fast twitch. They have leverage that helps them deliver that kind of velocity, and they have incredibly quick arms. And they're, just, they're fast twitch athletes, and that's why they have that kind of otherworldly, really, velocity. Those guys just have uh, – and that's why they're able to maintain that velocity. And that's the most impressive thing, I think, about Strasburg. It sounds like his stuff did not diminish – from pitch one to pitch whatever well, it was at that that's start. The, that's that's the thing. Start. That's, to me, that's the thing that stands out about Verlander is, is right. that Verlander will, you know, you'll see in the seventh, eighth inning, it's like 97, 98. And the difference with Verlander with the, with the other guys, and we'll see if Strasburg can do this, is that power breaking ball also maintains that shape and right. depth. And that's the thing is, is what I was going to throw out the question is, is that if Steven Strasburg becomes Justin Verlander, has he, lived up, yeah, <laughs> yeah. has he lived up to expectations and hmm that's a great question you know and I don't know if you could really say I mean like in Verlander's career we don't know where Verlander's career is going to go I mean he's he's got a long ways before we'll be you know determining is he you know I don't think he's that far from his peak though Justin Verlander he's been awfully good no he has that, uh, he has I mean you know to me Justin Verlander was the number one starter on a pennant winning team so that's a pretty good ceiling I but, mean that's but that's I, an ace. I, I, think, I think we expect a little bit more out of Strasburg. I think no. I was gonna. The thing I was gonna argue is is that to me, like Verlander right now hasn't thrown up a sub three. You know, you you need to have. I mean, this sounds crazy, but you. I, I do think Strasburg needs to throw up, considering the expectations to match expectations, and I'm not saying reasonable expectations. Well, first you know, of all, he's we, in the we, American. We, he's in the National League. First of all, no, that does help. So he will throw up if he does. If he's Justin Verlander, it would be sub yeah. three. All right. If he did exactly what Verlander does, it would look a lot. But better. what I'm saying is, is that Verlander has not yet had that year. That he's had very good years, but he hasn't had that year where he was the unhittable guy. Yeah, last year was his best year. I mean, he led the league in innings and strikeouts and wins and starts. Right. It last was a year very was his good best year. year. But what I'm saying is, is that but it wasn't but dominant. He needs to have far as Strasburg. Strasburg needs to have a Zach Greinke. 2009 season or two to meet expectations, I think at this point it's fair to say. I think mean, that is fair to say. Like, I think you're right. I think he needs to be better than Justin Verlander. Uh, and Justin Verlander, and Justin Verlander is, is awfully good. Justin and Verlander is on the short list of the best pitchers in baseball. And Steven Strasburg, to live, like that, live up to expectations, needs to be better than that. I think mean, that's very fair to say. It's like, it, And to me, like if he has Justin Verlander's career with those peaks like what Greinke did last year or like, you know, Take Definitely your, better be better than Matt Garza, just to say yeah. another guy we're talking about. And I like yeah. Matt Garza. But, uh, to go back, I mean, the guy who didn't get the hype from, you know, the na- you know, nationally on a, you know, like a first name basis like Steven Strasburg has, but but Felix Hernandez, he did get pretty Steve, big hype. Though. But Felix Hernandez, especially but like from BA standpoint, like if you said design a pitching prospect, Felix Hernandez was the designer pitching prospect of his time that he was coming up. I always, re- I always remember the phrase that Jim Callis used. He was still doing our Mariners top 30 at that time, and Felix had just gone to the Northwest League, where he'd been taken deep by XBA staffer Ryan Johnson. But uh, where he said that uh, Felix Hernandez sounds too good to be true. And we were saying that at 17. And that's actually one of the biggest reasons why we don't do baseball for the ages anymore. If anyone ever uh, remembers that feature we used to do, the year that Felix Hernandez was, was 17, uh, he was not our best 17-year-old because we were trying to limit it to under to uh, amateurs, I believe. 
And I think that he and Elvis Andrus might have both been 17-year-olds that we passed over. And I just thought that was the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why we don't do baseball for the ages anymore, because it's impossible. The best 17-year-old amateur right now is Bryce Harper. He's like the exception that proves the rule that the amateur is never better than the pros. But, but the, the point I was going to make is, is that Felix Hernandez – to me, like, if you talk about Justin Verlander, like, Verlander may have, you know, we talk about Verlander, but Felix Hernandez is the guy, to me, if you talk about the designer pitching prospect, that that really, if Strasburg somewhat follows his career in some ways, in that, like, it's been a bit, it's been a slow build. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily know that Strasburg, pitching in the major leagues is really hard. And, like, with Felix, there was almost some disappointment that when he came up to the big leagues, when he was 19. When he was 19, and then as a 20-year-old, he was okay. Right. That's. I think that's the thing is that there was the hype. There's not nearly. There was not nearly as much hype for Felix Hernandez as there has been for Steven Strasburg, and there was a decent amount of hype. He ratcheted it up with his debut right. when he was so good at age 19. Then expectations really came down after his next two seasons when he was really just like, eh, pretty good, but not great. Especially his rookie year when he was just okay. And his second year when he was and, pretty good. And then really, he has a really last year, yeah, he, he had the year that what we're talking about, that Strasburg has to have some of those years in his career. Right. The, that, I mean, that was a Zach Reinke, when we're talking about Zach Reinke. I mean, you could have made a very good argument. The argument was last year, Felix, Felix or Reinke. Right, when Verlander was in that discussion for some people and probably shouldn't have been, he should have been third after those guys. I mean, I think it's reasonable to have had him but right. third. And the thing about this is that with Felix is that, I don't. I guess the the one point I'm trying to make here is is that if Strasburg comes up this year, and he goes, you know, comes up, makes 20 starts, and he goes, you know, seven and eight because hey, he's playing for the Nationals, right? Seven and eight with a four ERA. That's not bad. That no. doesn't mean you know what you're going to probably hear at that point is the whole you know well what's wrong you know why isn't he dominating like we expected him to, but it does take a while. Very few pitchers you know. <laughs> Show right. up in the big leagues, able to dominate. And again, the other thing with the, the other reason the prior comp makes some sense is that, like prior, Strasburg has shown, as an amateur anyway, and so far as a pro, very limited sample size. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He throws a lot of strikes. That was Pryor's defining characteristic. It wasn't just that he threw 93-94 every pitch, that he commanded 93-94. That's what set Mark Pryor apart. Um, his rookie year was like Felix Hernandez. It was about a 500 record. Uh, 122 ERA plus. It was almost a carbon copy of Felix Hernandez. It was his first full year, which turned out to be his best year. That's that's sad to that's, say. That's that's the year. That's that's when you what say Mark to me that's career. That's right. the year. But that's to me what Steven Strasburg has to meet or exceed. Number one starter on a team that should have that choked away a pennant. A, B, uh, a 179 ERA plus according to Baseball Reference. C, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, and a five to one strikeout to walk ratio. That's really the bar right. to me but, for Steven Strasburg. But the key for Steven Strasburg is, is But don't that, expect that in twenty ten. Right. Look for it in twenty eleven. But and but the key with that is is that and then okay, you do that and then you you do it again at some point and in between you have your sure. your you're one of the best starters in baseball. And then if your career turns into Justin Verlander with a little bit better fewer home runs allowed and a little bit big the biggest thing that seems to get Verlander is he is prone to big innings. Uh which goes back to his amateur scouting report. He does uh, not always contain. He can get a little emotional, I guess, on the mound. That's the best way to put it. That doesn't seem to be a problem with Steven Strasburg. This guy's almost too low key for some people. So, um, 
those, those guys are great storylines to follow, and it's always good when Baseball America – uh, can point to things where we were ahead of those curves, and that's our job is to be ahead of the curve on prospects. The, the, the funny thing I was thinking about that is is that we we had something up on Bryce Harper this week. Um, some you, you go read on the college blog if yeah, you have three it, strikes, three strikes uh, from yesterday. Aaron Fit had quotes from Bryce Harper's junior college coach, which the quotes are are insanely good. Um, yeah, they are. They're funny. But the thing that made me think about that is is that you know it's like I remember reading about Bryce Harper when he was I guess heading into his sophomore year of high school and it was like look this guy's the best guy you he know, was the best guy when he was 14 right when he was 14 it was like I would rather have this guy than anyone else he here. was in 8th grade and it was a good draft year in Nevada and he was the best guy and it's like that's the and crazy the thing, thing about it is is that and it wasn't close for most scouts I mean, it we, was that obvious at that age. When we talk about height, the the thing that just, it just when, I, when we're thinking about it, it's like Bryce Harper is doing. It, it's no one. There's never been a high school baseball player more hyped. I mean, even A Rod was not more hyped than what than what Bryce Harper was. That's correct. Before he went to junior college, and the thing that's amazing is is that like we're talking about you know with the hype and you know living like Jason Hayward's living up to the hype. It's not hype. Up to now, like what Bryce Harper can do, he's doing it. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. that the season he's having, the season he is having in junior college, I, I do think that it almost can get lost a little bit because it, it runs through, oh, he's in junior college, and it runs through kind of the college baseball, what's a good college baseball stat filter and all that. But considering what he's doing with a wood bat, right. it's insane. I'm trying to find the record for the NCAA Division One what the home run record was before they went to metal bats in 1974, I guess, was the first year of metal bats. The highest I've found so far is 17 by Greg Riddick in 1967, like, which was only in 26 games, by the way, but he also did it at altitude in northern Colorado, kind of similar conditions yeah. really to, to what we're talking about here. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, he's already at 15. So I'm not sure what that record is, but I don't think it's much more than 17. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be very difficult to – it's, oh, it's very hard. It was going to be very hard for him to live up to the hype, and he's doing it. So, uh, And he's doing it while also playing, uh, according to the scout I talked to, a very good center field where he basically provides a highlight catch every game. Or playing right field where he's just got an amazing hose, and when he throw, threw out a runner against Western Nevada, he saluted the dugout. Or when he hit the 500-foot home run against Western Nevada in that same game, and no, he don't. He saluted the dugout after the home run. He took a bow in right field after throwing behind a runner at first and nearly picking him off after a single. Took a bow and got ejected from the game. So, which the scout I was talking to thought that was a little bit too much. But uh, not on 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 the on the umpire's right. part, not on Bryce Harper's part. So, he's living up to the hype. He has a lot of fun playing the game, and uh, he's dealing with really about as much pressure as any 17-year-old baseball player has probably ever had to deal with. Uh, at least in the last 25, 30 years I, I can say, think of. I was what say, big league 17-year-olds? Bob Feller? I was going to say, basically, Bob Feller was and the only name Bryce I could... Harper guy can hate me, you <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, Bob Feller's about the only guy I could think of who may have faced more pressure as a 17-year-old. When his uh, uh, signing was broadcast on the Mutual Radio Network, or whatever the radio networks were back in 1937. A long podcast, a great podcast, a lot of fun talking about the storylines early in the season. We will do our best to uh, contain ourselves and have shorter podcasts, but also to uh, have more pro podcasts as the year goes on. That's our job, uh, and JJ and I will be doing a lot of those, but uh, we'll get the whole staff involved. So 
Uh, for JJ, I'm John. I want to remind you that we were uh, recording this in the DeMarini Demo House podcast nook because when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free, so get the season started right and visit your nearest Demo House today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. Send your questions to us for next year, next week's podcast at podcast at baseballamerica.com or visit us on Facebook and comment on the podcast there. For JJ, I'm John. Until next week, we'll see you. So long, everybody.